This morning, let's go to Romans chapter 8. We're in verse number 23. And I have to tell you this, that we're in this paragraph from 19 to verse 25, and it's kind of hard to get out of the paragraph. Because every week I look at it and say, ooh, there's something else here that we ought to look at. And the depth of this entire chapter is far beyond what we're going to be able to accomplish in our study. And I like that about God's Word. But uh, as each time I step into this paragraph, I say, oh, there's another wonderful thing to look at. And verse 23 is where we are. It's the key, I call it the key verse to the paragraph 19 through 25. So I'm going to read 19 through 25, and we're going to spend our time in the last half of verse 23 today. It says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth until uh, together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Christian anticipation, if I wanted to give it a title. Christian anticipation. I was talking to Pamela this morning about, remember the old ketchup commercial? They used the song Anticipation when you got the glass bottle. That's, by the way, they used to put it in glass bottles, right? And uh, now it's plastic and you squeeze it and it comes out fast. But the whole goal was, see how thick it can be? And you hold that thing upside down and, and I just, that song has been haunting me all morning since I thought of it. But uh, Christian anticipation is something we all ought to have. It's something we all ought to have as believers in Christ. Anticipation of what he intends to do. This verse tells us what he intends to do. Verse 23, it speaks of our adoption as sons and the redemption of our body. And that's what we're going to look at here today. And I hope that it's an encouragement to you today. And I hope it builds the anticipation level in your heart. Heavenly Father, as we start into this passage today, we are totally dependent upon you. We know that this is your word. You have given it to us, and we thank you, Lord, for it. We know that it sets out to do the work that you send it out to do. So we're dependent upon you to activate your will in our hearts and lives to make the changes, the alterations, the encouragements, the corrections, whatever is necessary, that it will accomplish your will in us. We are so blessed that you care so much, that you work in our lives, even through your word, and it's a powerful passage. Help us to grasp it today. And help us to be encouraged by it, I pray, Lord. And may our anticipation level grow. 
thank you for this. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how many of you have ever had questions about your future? <laughs> Most of us, all of us, one way or another. There are so many things we don't know. And being a Christian doesn't exempt you from questions, does it? It does not at all. We, we, sometimes, even after studying God's Word, we have more questions than we had at first. Uh, matter of fact, even being a Christian doesn't exempt you from the issue called doubt. We struggle with that at times, don't we? We, we see something and we say, oh, really? And we're not quite sure. We, we have doubts. Uh, the Thessalonians did. You're in good company, by the way, if you associate with the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were great, wonderful, you know, they were, they were glowing red kind of people when it came to zeal for the Lord. And yet they had questions, and Paul wrote to them concerning questions that they had. Uh, and their primary one was, well, they've been told that they had missed the rapture. Now, would that concern you? Yes. <laughs> well, it concerned them. And I say, okay, we're in good company if we, if we question a few things. But the Corinthians also questioned a lot of things. And I wouldn't say you want to be in company with them so much. The, the Corinthians, by the way, when Paul talked to them, he was a little harsh. Not mean, but he was stern. He was a little tough. He had to correct them because they were so immature. And their responses to the questions were always the wrong ones. And he had to correct them, especially when we go to a chapter like 1 Corinthians 15, we call it the resurrection chapter, and we find it very encouraging to read that chapter. We like it at Easter time, especially. It talks about the resurrection and, and such like that. And we find great words in there. But this is how he said it to them. He said in 1 Corinthians 15:35, and just on all the way to verse 44, he says, but someone would say, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? He says, you fool. Well, there you got it. An interesting response, huh? You fool, he says, that which you sow does not become, uh, come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. This is very common sense stuff, especially here in agricultural land. When you're planting wheat, do you plant the whole plant, or do you just plant the seed? You know, that whole plant would be tough getting it through the little planter, is it, right? You go out there and put all those plants in the ground? No, it's a seed. That's logical, because you put the seed in the ground, and it does its thing in what we call dying, and it produces the plant. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's what he's saying to them. He says, God's creative, and God gives it a body just as he wished. That to each of the seeds, a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is a flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish. Well, you stop right there, little aside. That means you didn't come from a fish, folks. Alright? That's real simple. God designed them to be different. And that's what he just said. That's God's creativity. All flesh is not the same flesh. There are also heavenly bodies, by the way. 
sun, the moon, the stars, planets, things like that, and there are earthly bodies, and we're used to that one. But the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and the glory of the earthly is another thing, and they all differ too. There's one glory of the sun, there's another glory of the moon, there's another glory of stars, and stars even differ from other stars in their glory. So, taking an illustration as simple as all that is, he says, now let me talk about the resurrected body. He says, there is a body, and it's going to be resurrected, so also, verse 42, is the resurrection of the body. It is sown a perishable body. He says in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. It is sown in weakness. In verse 44, it is sown a natural body. And there is a natural body, and you all know it. You know that's true. But at the same time, each of those verses said this as well. It will be raised in imperishable body. It will be raised in glory. It will be raised in power. It will be raised a spiritual body because there is a spiritual body. We're currently living in earthly bodies. You've noticed that. As an earthly, those who are of the earth. As is the heavenly, so there are those who are the heavenly. We will live in heavenly bodies. Just as sure as you're living in an earthly body right now. You as a believer in Christ will wear a heavenly body. Just as we have borne, he says in verse 49, the image of the earthy, so we will bear the image of the heavenly. Why is this necessary to hear? Simply put, the body you're wearing right now is not fit for heaven. Did you know that? It's not meant to abide in heaven. It's not designed to fit in heaven. What does it need? It needs changed. It needs a change in order to, well, if you want to use the word modify, it needs to be changed because down here you're living among perishable things. Up there you won't. So don't take a perishable body up there. It's got to be altered in order to dwell in that kind of a realm. And that's the whole point of his argument. He says in 1 Corinthians 15:50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It won't work. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So here's the good news. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. The mortal must put on immortality. And when this perishable has put on the imperishable, and when this mortal has put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is powerful stuff. That is the teaching of the resurrected body. As a believer in Christ, that's your future. All right? There's no doubt about it. That is your future in Christ Jesus. For you, for me, who believe in Jesus Christ, that change will take place. When? 
Well, here's a simple answer. At the rapture. At the rapture of the church, whether you're awake, that means you're alive, or whether you're asleep, and you've gone already to be with the Lord, you've died, you will be at the rapture. Guaranteed. Because that's the resurrection of the church. The resurrection of the Christian. All right? Simple teaching, but I want to make it as clear as I can. I had a, a dear friend, he and his wife, they, they talked about the rapture all the time. They were up in years. They had health problems. Uh, they, they just couldn't wait. Every day they talked about it. And she passed away. And he was so discouraged. And I said, Gurney, what's the matter? She says, she's going to miss it. I said, no, she's not. She just moved to the front of the bus. <laughs> and then he passed away. You know what that is? The dead in Christ rise first. Yes, they're there. They're part of that. That's where we're going, folks. That is our destiny from the change here to the change there. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. That's our hope, by the way. We're using the word hope in Romans chapter 8, and we're coming back to that too. But Titus, when Paul wrote to Titus, he heard these words in chapter 2, verse 13. We're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. We're looking for it. Now, that means you should have anticipation. Because that's where you're going. You should anticipate that. And as we've been marking the words in Romans chapter 8, it should be an eager anticipation. An eager one. And I challenged you on that a few weeks ago. But here in Romans 8, back where we are, verse 24, he says, For in hope we have been saved. That's what he's talking about. We're talking about the hope. A hope that's not seen, but it's known. We believe it. We anticipate it. We expect it. That's the kind of hope we have. With perseverance, he says in verse 25, we wait eagerly for it. Because the fact is coming. It's coming. And I should be waiting eagerly for that. You know how many songs we sing in this church, in that hymn book, that speak of the coming of the Lord? It's kind of interesting, but if you study hymns, I challenge you to actually stop and look at the hymns sometimes. Read the words. I know we know the words. We sing the words. We know the tunes. But the words are, are lessons in theology many, many times. And I've noticed over the last five, six years especially, that almost every great hymn we sing, the last verse is about our hope. It will talk about what God has done. It will talk about our salvation. It will talk about many things. But when it gets to that last verse, it launches into our future. And I almost think that what they have to do, or what would be great, is to change the key on that last verse and make it louder. Because that's our anticipation. Like this. When, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. There's a man going through some difficult times. You know the story of the song. I'm not going to go all the way through that. But then the next thought he thinks, and Satan buffets, 
and trials become sore, and, and, and this blessed assurance still controls me that Christ has regarded my helplessness fate, and it's well with my soul. And then he thinks a little further in there, and he says, My sin! Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought! My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Now, he's marched you through his difficult times, and he's talked about what the Lord has done to undergird him and carry him through and deal with his sin. And you know what the last verse is. And Lord, haste the day when the face shall be sight, and the clouds be rolled back like a scroll, and the Lord shall descend. What's he anticipating? This hope. We sing that song. And I think that last verse just needs to be louder and in a greater key. Same thing with such songs like, How Great Thou Art. Talks about creation first. When I consider all thy hands have created, and we see the stars, and we, we consider the heavens, and the rolling thunder, and all the universe, and the power of God, and my soul sings, How Great Thou Art. And then the second verse, he goes into the theology of what, what it means when God did not spare his son. And he talks about how, how he sent him to die, and I scarce can take it in. That on that cross, my burden, he gladly bore and he bled to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my God, how great thou art. You know what the last verse is again, don't you? It says, when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. That's anticipation. Over and over and over, we see the words, we sing the words, and we put on that face that looks like our dog just died. I don't know why we're like this. We're, we're in this mode in this earth that we see the pain or feel the pains. We see the decay. We see, you know, the years march on and things aren't what they used to be. And, and we just kind of flavor everything with that. Don't we? And just, we'll just put it all over the place. We just, just kind of settle into this. This is life. This is what, this is not the end, folks. This is not where it stops. We're talking about our hope, where things will change, and they're coming. And so, there I just set you up for our verse. Our verse. A very important thing that we have to have in front of us, that we anticipate, that we believe this. Because you and I have this, this common thought. We believe that there will be that day when we step outside this world and we step into glory. We believe that there we will be without pain. We'll be there without sickness. We'll be there without death. We're reminded of that with Maddie yesterday. We think about those things. We believe in the rapture of the church, and I'm very happy to preach it here in this church. We believe in those things. We talked about those things. But let me ask you a question. That sometimes makes us stop and, and question and wonder what's going to happen. If we should die before the rapture, 
if we should, as scriptures say, fall asleep, what will our experience be? What does it say? Will we be awake? Will will we be alert? Will we be asleep? Will we be in heaven? Will we, if we are in heaven, will we be spirits? Ghost? You ever want to be a ghost? Ghost? Will, will, will we be in bodies? Have you ever asked those questions? I have a, a lady in the very first church I was in so mad at me because I talked about what we're going to be in heaven. And her husband had passed away and she had the firm belief that he was an angel. And I told her he wasn't. But that didn't go over too well. She was so mad at me. I said, you don't convert to angels when you leave this body. I said, you should be better than an angel. But she didn't want to buy that. She just wanted him to be an angel. And it didn't work. It says this, Romans 8, 23. Not only this, but we ourselves, also we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now, this has something to say about our security concerning the future. This says an awful lot about it. It deals with two points, I believe, our adoption as sons and the redemption of our body. Now, I'm looking at both of these and I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, uh oh. Um, you brought your lunch, right? Maybe. Or you might see part two next week. Two distinct items here. Two distinct items, I think, but under one banner. One banner, you are waiting for this eagerly. That's your banner. I can't wait for this to happen. That's your banner. Item number one, our adoption as sons. Now, you would probably say, but I thought, Pastor, you said we were already adopted as sons. What do you mean we're waiting to be adopted as sons? Well, it does say this. We anticipate, right? We wait eagerly, verse 23, for our adoption as sons. Well, let's think this through for a minute. Go back to Ephesians. Well, forward to Ephesians. We're already back. Let's go forward to Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at verse number um, 5. That's a good one. Ephesians 1, verse 5. This is something God did when he chose us before the foundation of the world. And it says in verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. That's God's work, right? And he chose you. He chose you. He predestined you. I love that word. That's a good word, by the way. Don't let anyone take it from you. All right? There are those out there that think it's a bad word. And they say, don't believe in predestination. I had a man tell me that, a pastor. Once, uh, he, he was my pastor when I was a teenager. He says, oh, don't you believe in that? He says, if you believe in that, you've got to buy it all. 
Yeah. But that's what he said. You can't believe. He didn't believe in it. That's what it was. He tried to coach me away from that. And the more I thought about it, and the more the Lord worked in my heart, the more I said, I love being predestined. And that's what he did. He predestined me because I wasn't going to choose that myself. He chose it. And I'm glad he did. He chose me to be his son. He adopted me. Even before I had a say in it. Even before I did anything to, to gain that merit. He chose me before the foundation of the world. He adopted me as his son. And here in Romans chapter 8, if you just flip back there, you see he's been talking about that in verse 15, for example. Romans 8, 15, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, is he talking about now or some other time? Now. Are you a child of God? You've been adopted as his son. I know ladies are saying, no, let's say daughters. You've been adopted as his child. We use the word sons. But you've been adopted as his son. It's already done. It was done before the world was even made. It was done. So we see those facts. But then here in Romans chapter 8, verse number 19, it says, The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Well, what's that? They're waiting for that to just be revealed. Revealed. I'm going to illustrate it for you, and I think it might help. Just put yourself in this picture a little minute, and I just very generalize it. Don't come up and say, well, it's not exactly that way or something like that. Okay, I made it up. I just generalized this concept. Suppose you lived in an orphanage. Suppose you lived there for quite a many years. All the way through your early years, into your teen years, you've been living in an orphanage. And here you realize, well, either I'm going to get old enough as an adult to move on my own, or eventually somebody's going to take me into their home. You're about 12 or 13 years old, and, and one day a husband and a wife comes into the place, and they're visiting, and they especially pay attention to you. And they talk to you a great time. They, they spend time with you. And they come back another week and spend more time with you. And they, they talk with you. And they play games with you. And they get to know you. And you get to know them a little bit too. And, and then they say, why don't you just come home with us for the weekend? And, and spend some time around the house with us and visit with us. And, and you say, okay. And you go there. And, and after a course of time, it's decided. They're going to adopt you. And you're very happy about that. You like that. And you like them very much. And you say, great, this is going to be good. And they sign the papers. And they have everything approved. And, and there's a date set. And that word comes to you, pack your things. Pack your things. You're going. You've got a place to go. You, you meet them at the office of the orphanage and, and they show you the paper. Do you believe it when it says, you've been adopted? You see the paper and you say, okay, great. You see it in print. You go out and get in the car with them and you put your luggage in their trunk. And they start to drive down the road. And you believe the whole time you're adopted. You're adopted. You ride with them. 
When do you know it? You walk in the front door and you're home. Home. For the first time you call that place home. Now, were you adopted before you got there? Yes, you were. It was in print. It was made legal. It was told to you. You had the date. You sat in the car. You waited mile after mile after mile. You knew you were going to that house. You knew that place was going to be home. You knew those folks were now your folks. But there's something about getting in the house that reminds you, I've been adopted. I've been adopted. Scripture says that you've been adopted by the Father. But it's still something you eagerly wait for. What are you waiting for? The legal side? No. Theologically, it is complete in Christ Jesus. Are you on the trip? Yes. What are you waiting for? To step home. To step in that home. To be home. That's what Paul, I believe, is talking about here. Creation can't wait for that day to be revealed when you're home. The paperwork's already completed. You're on the ride right now. You're on the ride to where the Lord would take you to the place He's prepared for you. Now, if that doesn't say something about how secure your relationship with Him is, I don't know what would be. It's already done. It's already been finished. You just haven't realized the last step yet. Is he going to change his mind? No. That's the beauty of this passage. Creation itself is anticipating it. You might have some, I don't know, I'd use my imagination, some toad outside more excited about your future than you are. Sounds silly, doesn't it? Creation is eagerly waiting for the revelation of the adoption of sons. We are going home to be with our Father. That's what Scripture teaches. The fact of it is true. The trip is where we are. So we're waiting for that. Eagerly waiting for the adoption as sons. Eagerly waiting. That's why I've been spending time in this passage with you. We're talking about our security in Christ Jesus. And it's not something I sit around and pat myself on the back for creating the idea. God wrote it. And he is giving to you in this chapter vital information for the Christian in a day like today. He wrote it in, through the Apostle Paul in the days, with, as you can see the title, Romans. Do you think it was easy to live in that day? As Paul was writing this, probably the mid-50s A.D., he's writing a letter to Christians who didn't find it so easy to be Christians. Matter of fact, Paul could testify to that because prior to that, he persecuted that same church. He knew what they were under. He knew the struggle of wearing the name of Christ. And yet, what they still had to anticipate was what we call the persecutions of Nero in the early 60s. 
an era that is unfathomable for the church today. In America, we have no idea what that was like. To have lost everything. Your home, your land, your job, your money, your friends, even your family, and for many, their lives. Now, if that doesn't shake a person, I don't know what can. It's hard to live in a world that doesn't like you. And Jesus said, if they don't like me, they won't like you. And it's hard. To write words like these are such encouraging words. Because these don't change. The world can take an awful lot from you folks. But they cannot take your future. That's secure in Christ Jesus. They cannot take your salvation. That's secure in Christ Jesus. They cannot take these things from you. Matter of fact, some of my favorite verses are coming up. What can separate you from the love of Christ? Maybe that's the whole reason I chose the chapter in the first place. I can't wait to get to the end of the book and talk about those sections too. It's just to reinforce, to strengthen us again, to say, yes, Life is challenging, and we all know it. And death is hard, and we all know that too. But that's not where it ends with the believer. Christ is with you now, and Christ will take you home. And that's the promise we have here. Just in the simple words, our adoption as sons. It's true. That's where you are. I told you I had to break this into two pieces because I have five more pages to go. And I haven't even talked about the redemption of the body yet. And that's fun. Wait till you hear that one next week. Let's just stop right here with these words. As we have just read it, this is our hope. We, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, yes, we know that, waiting eagerly, I hope so. For our adoption as sons. Think of the anticipation of being in the car, going home for the first time. That's a picture of the words. Heavenly Father, you know every heart in this room and those who especially are are feeling all these emotions in a raw sense today. For some, I know, it hurts deeply to think of loved ones who've passed on, or even for some, there's fear in their hearts of their future, and and the idea of death is just huge. Once I heard somebody say, Lord, that, that death is the king of fear, but Jesus is the king of kings. With that, we come before you again. And we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives even now. Reinforcing, strengthening, nourishing, giving these thoughts and understandings we have from your word, stability in our hearts, and, and that ability to, to encourage us and prepare us for the very next step we are to take. Thank you, Lord, for your constant work in building us up. And we need that. We need that in our day and age too. We need that because we don't know our future. Not on this earth. We don't know what 
tomorrow might bring. But we do know who we believe. And we're convinced that you're able to keep that which we've committed unto you. And we thank you for that today. For giving concrete to our doctrine. That we may stand upon it. That we may rejoice in it. I pray today, Lord, that you encourage many hearts. Build us up. Give us stability in your security. In Jesus' name, amen.